0: and welcome to Farscape Friday episode 63. I'm Kay here with my co-host Taz. Hello. This week we'll be discussing the 19th episode of season three, I Yinch, You Yinch. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of I Yinch, You Yinch. The crew begins to line up all of their chess pieces in order to take down the wormhole technology that Scorpius is developing. However, things start going sideways when Rigel, Dargo, Scorpius, and Bracca get taken hostage in a diner at the edge of the universe. Meanwhile, Talon's paranoia gets out of control and he blows up a ship with 600 civilians on board. The crew has to make a hard decision about how to handle their baby Leviathan.
1: We have two dramas going on in this episode. And they're both kind of different. On the one hand, we have Rigel and Dargo, along with Scorpius and Bracca, negotiating for John to come aboard the command carrier. That's why they're all meeting at this kind of nondescript restaurant at the edge of the universe. And it's kind of one of those mafia meetups where you have two sides negotiating at neutral territory. Except they accidentally step into someone else's robbery slash insurance fraud scheme. So it's one of those kind of hilarious things where, where, you know, like in psych, when, when Sean and Gus mm-hmm. go to the bank and then suddenly there's a bank robbery and they're on the inside part of the hostages or leverage and the bank shop, shot job, which is very similar. And so I love that trope and that dynamic. And it goes about as well as you expect. And Rigel and Scorpius end up teaming up to get out of it. Of the two storylines, it's really the more lighthearted because of that hostage dynamic going on. And then you have this other storyline that is really serious and really sad and kind of, you know, grips you by the heartstrings. And that's Talon shooting this medical ship that they've run into. And he's like this the troubled teenager who's finally crossed the line and done the reprehensible thing. And even though you love him, you they have to do something about it at this point. And it's really about getting Talon and Moya to accept that he really needs help for his Mental issues, I guess, because it's kind of treated like a mental illness.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you that the the Rigel Scorpius storyline is like so fabulous. I also love any episode where like things just don't go according to plan, and it's not like in a oh things don't go according to plan in a um in a oh what was that that Vegas episode we just had recently <clears throat> scratch and sniff yeah in a scratch and sniff kind of way, but in a like completely unexpected way you know because early on in this episode it spends like a a little bit of time with the cook and the waitress and normally that's those are just two characters that you wouldn't see you know the waitress might come in and out but you know you wouldn't really pay attention and see her but you spend time with them. The setup of this diner is one of the reasons I really vividly remember this episode. Yeah. And I, I honestly didn't even remember what happened. In fact, I had misremembered this whole thing as Rigel selling John out, I'd like completely forgotten the setup, but I still remember the diner and I still remembered Rigel and Scorpius in this diner because it just <laughs> so great. And it feels like, you know, the restaurant at the edge of the universe kind of place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, what I remembered about this episode was the, the Rigel and Scorpius storyline and I had completely forgotten everything that happened with Talon. Like I was like... Oh, and I kind of vaguely remember him shooting the medical ship, but I thought it was at the end of the episode, not the beginning of the episode. It's, so that was kind of like the revelation for me was that storyline. Let's start with the the restaurant, because that's setting up for next episode and their whole plan to get aboard Scorpius's command carrier. So we have Rigel and Dargo have gone to this diner on behalf of John Crichton, and they're scheduled to meet with Bracca and Scorpius. And so they're waiting and they're waiting. And yeah, we get this kind of funny byplay of the waiter of the waitress and the cook who are like you know don't know what's going on they're worried about the food and they're just really anxious and and fretful and you're like okay this is kind of weird why are we talking with them and then finally Scorpius and Bracca show up and they show up with a squad of soldiers and I'm just going to go ahead and play that first clip so we can get this episode kicked off where's your rescue squad hmm? where's Aaron soon Get thrilled. Not afraid of death.
0: Oh, just let me finish these. Then please don't miss. Aim for the head. (laughs) Look, we're ready to deal. When you've finished your little game.
1: I had to make sure you were both alone. Hmm,
0: of course. Weapons down. not are you certain about that quite i can if you knock out another there'll be no soldiers to carry these three
1: back to the ship
0: <clears throat> he's right we're here to talk <laughs> ah, i love everything about this clip <laughs>
1: Yeah, so the thwacking you heard when Dargo is speaking is him punching out the peacekeeper soldiers who have arrived and actually, you know, drawn weapons on them and had them at gunpoint because they wanted to make sure that Aaron wasn't hiding in the wings. And then Dargo's just walking through, punching them, and they're letting him. That's what gets me. It's like, why would the soldiers, like, react? But then you're like, oh, Scorpius has such control over his soldiers that when he says weapons down, they obey it, even though their friends are getting punched
0: in the face. <laughs> That's the control oh, Scorpius has over people, though. You know what I mean? I know. This is so it's like a hundred percent in character for Scorpius for me that like he's like weapons down and his soldiers are like getting knocked out and they're like they're so afraid of him that they're not even gonna move. That if he's not <laughs> reacting to them getting knocked out, they are not supposed to react to them getting knocked out. Yes, uh, exactly. Exactly. Plus, this is back to that Rigel we saw and look at the princess, the Rigel that's like strategic planner you know what oh my I mean? god
1: i love rigel here and one of the opening scenes back on moya is chiana and john talking about this plan going down and john actually having faith in rigel he says rigel seems to think that scorpius will deal and I trust him with that. He doesn't say that, but he implies that. And that's such a rare sentiment to get from Rigel's crewmate. So it's really cool to hear that John Crichton has faith in Rigel to get this deal done. And then you see Rigel, he's eating marjules, which he knows the delicacy that he loves. And he's like, "Let's let me finish while all this chaos is happening around him because he knows this is all posturing and he's got that political mm-hmm. acumen going on. And it's just so much fun to see.
0: It's so good. And in some ways, one of the things we talked about in Look at the Princess Trilogy is that it's really hard to write political intrigue dialogue. Like yeah. not everything can be Game of Thrones. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but here, it's that writing that I almost wanted to see in Look at the Princess. It's so strategic. It's when Rigel is kind of like, well, when you're done posturing and it's his bravery and it's, and it's him just seeing through Scorpius's nonsense and at the same time, Scorpius respecting that. Mm-hmm. you know like dargo was like are you sure and it's clear and scorpius is like yeah i'm sure i wasn't gonna ever gonna do it but you can see that scorpius is like reacting to rigel yeah you know what i mean and then also you're gonna want to note here because i didn't even notice it the first time but it's so good rigel says to scorpius he's like if you're gonna shoot me don't miss aim for the head and, like, pay attention to that line because it comes circles back later in this episode when Rigel's holding a gun. So like, <laughs> Oh, I didn't even notice it the first time, but it's real good.
1: Oh, I know what you mean now. Okay, I missed that, too. Anyway, we'll get to that. This storyline is really about Rigel and Scorpius forging an alliance. And it's the two of them playing off each other that make it so brilliant. And they're a really awesome odd couple, too. You know, it's like usually we see Scorpius paired with John or we've seen him paired with Aaron. And of course, there's posturing with Dargo going on at the beginning because Dargo is the muscle. But really, this is about the relationship that is built between Rigel and Scorpius and how the entire endgame and the entire plan of John's to go on on a command carrier hinges on Rigel pulling this off. And it's just so much fun to see
0: hmm. And also it's fun to see these two characters meet again, because if you'll recall, they met at the end of season one when Rigel sold the crew out to Scorpius and Kreis at the time, but Scorpius mostly. And at that time, Rigel was kind of overplaying his hand with Scorpius. But you can see the growth that Rigel has had over these few seasons. He went into that confident. And you could see that in, you know, his demands for a milk bath and like his demands for more and more food and him kind of stringing Scorpius along. But here you really get the feeling that he's just more advanced at this point, that he's playing for something different. He's not playing for himself anymore. He's playing for the crew. And it seems to make him just a more strategic player.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got other people riding on what he does here. And I think, you know, in a funny kind of way, he's, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Flax when he's negotiating their freedom, essentially, or playing the pirates to get their yeah. freedom. And the audience is kept in the dark about what he's up to. It's, it sounds like he is selling them out, but he's playing a long game. And it, that's more of the feeling I get here. I mean, he's up, actually more open about what's going on because they're in an open negotiation and it's he's not, playing Scorpius in the same way, but there's more of that really solid earned confidence in mm-hmm. what he's doing. But at the same time, you ha- you have that little bit of nervousness coming in too. But what happens is one of the things they're negotiating for is safe passage on the command carrier because... The way that they spin it, Dargo lays out John's plan, is that they want to go help Scorpius because they don't want the wormhole technology to fall into the hands of the Scarns, and they're more afraid of the Scarns than they are of Scorpius, so John has decided that Scorpius is the one who needs to have the wormhole technology on behalf of the Peacekeepers. Now, obviously, this is all a smokescreen to get them aboard, but Scorpius is playing for now, and they want safe passage and a guarantee of safety because they don't want Scorpius because they're basically going to be walking into his lair. The title of the next episode, Into the Lion's Den, gives you a little bit of an idea about that. So Scorpius produces these bracelets. They're called Iench bracelets per the title. And he puts one on Bracca and convinces Dargo to put on the other one. And they basically synchronize pain Mm -hmm. so that if one person is in pain, the other person is in pain. And if one person is killed, the other person is killed. And they test this out by having Bracca bow to Rigel and Rigel headbutting him. (laughs) And then.
0: And can I say, I just, I really like that. We didn't get it because it's kind of like long and it's really exposition-y. But I I really like this moment because Scorpius essentially goes and he says to Bracca, he's like, pay homage to the Dominar. And Bracca is like, what all now? And you can tell that Rigel is used to, like, this sort of thing. And then Scorpius says, now hit Bracca as hard as you can. And you can tell... And Rigel tries to squirrel out of it because he doesn't 100% understand yet what Scorpius is playing at. Mm-hmm. And you can see that politically it's just better for him to not. And then Scorpius insists. And then that's when we find out that the bracelets do this, like, pain thing. And it's just a very... It's, like, a very clever way of kind of showing their dynamics of mm-hmm. Rigel knowing of both of them really knowing something else is going on like Scorpius believes that they don't want the Scarens to have the wormhole tech but he also doesn't 100% believe that Jon is just going to show up and give him wormhole tech oh hell no yeah and so <laughs> there's no the, trust
1: lost between the two of them
0: <laughs> not at all and so this scene just kind of like really crystallizes both of these players playing chess at one level but then it's kind of like one of those chess boards that has like four or five different chess boards on top where they're each playing like several different games here and it's so funny because then there's like the the slapstick comedy of (laughs) of braka getting hurt dargo getting hurt so then dargo slams into the wall so then braka also gets hurt again you know it's like it's like triple like pain
1: yeah yeah. And you got to give Bracca credit here, too, because even though he gets an expression on his face, it's like, what are you doing, Scorpius? He still obeys without question, you know, and he is still Scorpius's right hand person of being in charge of the peacekeepers, soldiers when they arrive, putting on the bracelet without question. Apparently, he doesn't even know the combination for getting it off. He just puts it on blindly and, <laughs> and you know, oh, letting him get punched in the face with Rigel's head or not punched, but headbutted he is right there in it and he might have his doubts, but he never questions Scorpius at all.
0: I know. Bracca and Scorpius are never going to be two characters that ever have to have that relationship where like the commander ever says to him, never question my orders in front of other people. That's (laughs) a very common conversation. I forget. I saw it recently on some TV show and I was like, oh yeah, that's, I think it was Rome. Maybe Mm -hmm. I was, I was doing a rewatch, but you know, somebody says like, never question my orders in front of anybody else. And I'm like, And I, like, literally had this thought where I was, like, "Braco would never do that. Like, Scorpius (laughs) is never going to have to say that. Braco would, like, literally walk on fire for Scorpius.
1: Yeah, he really would. So, at about this point, when they are getting further into the negotiation, because there's a few other things that they want, we have these two people show up. They're kind of blue. They're aliens. They've got... Blue skin and blue hair. They don't speak in straight lines. They are broken up by noises and monkey sounds. And they come up and they have guns and they're shooting the place up and they say, This is a robbery. And we have problems for our characters who are now at the other end of guns because Dargo, as part of Scorpius and Bracca's entry into negotiations, destroyed their comps and they have no weapons, none of them.
0: Mm hmm. It's actually a hilarious moment where the kind of creatures come in and they're like, "Oh, you know, we'll call your ship because they want they want like everybody where they can see them." It's so <laughs> funny because Scorpius is like, "They destroyed our comms. The Luxon destroyed our comms." And Darga's like, "Nah, I don't, I can't even be like, I can't even regret
1: that." <laughs> yeah, no regrets whatsoever.
0: So, so now they're in the hostage
1: situation and. I don't know if we ever get names for them but our two hostage takers you know they say they're going to burn the place down and there's they let other things slip but not the you know the sharpest knives in the in the kitchen drawer over there and you can kind of tell that all all of our main characters are like looking at this and saying wtf how do we get saddled with these idiots especially scorpius <laughs> and rigel <laughs>
0: my god my favorite is that literally like so much of this happens because Rigel and like Scorpius are so mad that two creatures would come in try and rob this place and have no plan like that's really Rigel's like that's what's making Rigel so pissy because the leader he ends up going in the back with the cook and the waitress right Mm -hmm. and and meanwhile, Rigel is talking to, like, the his underling, who's clearly not as, like, smart, smart. And it's so hilarious because <laughs> Rigel is just like, okay, so you don't really have a plan, do you? And mm-hmm. that's, like, what's making him so mad. <laughs> and so he's, like, he ends up giving the creatures a plan where he's like, hey, these are really powerful peacekeepers. You should kidnap them and ransom them
1: (laughs) well part of it is is that he also guesses what their original plan was which is like it'd be an empty diner and even though they say it's a robbery at first then they say we're going to burn the place down and he guesses that it's insurance fraud right Mm -hmm. and that they've been paid by the cook to burn the place down so he can collect all the money and go start a new job that he actually likes.
0: One of the things we forgot to mention is during the initial attack, Bracca tried to take them down and he actually ended up getting shot in the leg. And now, kind of when we flash back to everything having been cooled off, Bracca is laying up on one of the tables and he's literally trying to like stuff the insides of his leg <laughs> back in. It is the grossest thing.
1: Fortunately, it's short though.
0: Yeah, it's super short. It's not as gross as the baby from The Choice, but it's like up there with like <laughs> super gross stuff. And so, and meanwhile, again, Dargo is feeling all of the pain that Bracca is feeling. So throughout this whole episode, Dargo keeps like trying to wake up, keep Bracca awake, because as soon as Bracca passes out and dies... Dargo passes out and dies.
1: Right. So Dargo also is incapacitated by the gunshot wound to Bracca. And so basically he has effectively been sidelined as the muscle he was originally supposed to be there as. And so it really falls to Rigel and Scorpius to get them out of it. And there's this really short moment that we, I didn't grab this one either. I kind of regret that, but this is like the initial moment of Rigel being nervous because there's guns out. And he farts helium <laughs> and he has he and Scorpius have this little back and forth about, you know, being brave and or not being brave, but being nervous about what's going on <laughs> and putting on a brave front. But Scorpius is speaking in in his helium voice because he's sitting next to Rigel.
0: Yeah. So at this point, now the hostage shakers are both agreeing that they do need to take Scorpius and Bracca hostage and and Rigel is kind of like, Well, you don't really have a ship, do you, that can get you away? And they're like, Yeah, we've got a ship. And he's like, Is it faster than a marauder? And they're like, No. And you can tell the answer. <laughs> no. And so then he's like, Well, our ship is faster than a marauder. And he's like, But he needs to fly it. It's, you know, DNA and, you know, voice yeah, activated. Dargo. So Dargo needs to fly it. And he's not going to fly it if. Bracca dies because they're feeling each other's pain so you need to give Bracca water and Mm -hmm. then like the monkey like takes um, water and like the water he's drinking and spills it all over the ground and then demands more water to kind of prove to like as a dominant thing to like prove to Rigel that he's like better and Rigel literally and Scorpius both they're just like oh my god these guys are such idiots so after the water thing Scorpius is kind of like Hey, so you understand that this is actually Rigel the 16th, Dominar of the Hynerian Empire. And by the way, he's very ransomable. He's a (laughs) lot more ransomable than we are, he's very rich. He's very, very rich, and so what ends up happening is now the creatures, because Scorpius is kind of pissed that Rigel sold him out, but he's also like not, because he gets that, like he gets what's going on. He's more just annoyed at like the whole situation, (laughs) and so now they're after Rigel, and Rigel is kind of also pissed, and it's so funny the way that like both he and Scorpius are trying to be like, no, you should kidnap him, (laughs) and so what ends up happening is. Rigel and Scorpius end up having a conversation about what they're going to do, and it's amazing. <laughs> we only have a limited window before they discover no one will pay a crap for you. That's your fault. You told them to ransom me. If they'd come in a peacekeeper squad like you suggested, it's quite likely one of us would have died at the hands of these idiots. So, um, we do this ourselves if you're up to it. <laughs> I know the combination to Braga's bracelet. While holding two lights
1: continuously, depress 314, then release all. So I just love that. They're just both like, what idiots. And now it's up to us to get out of it because there's no one else and Braga and Dargo are incapacitated and this situation
0: is stupid, but that's what we got, (laughs) you know? I know. It's so good. I just like the way that they're both so practical about this. Mm -hmm. Like, these are both men. Well, Scorpius does use physical violence, but we've discussed on multiple occasions that he's a character that likes outsmarting. His enemies rather than using his, like, physical abilities against them. Right.
1: Because his physical abilities come from his scare side. And that's where his strength comes from. And he hates that. He hates that he has to rely on brute force. Though I will say he's very casual about executing people through other means than just mm-hmm. straight up force. Like, in Incubator, we saw him basically just saying, ordering people to their deaths for being stupid, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's not against violence. I think he just doesn't, like... You know, the whole thing with Kreis of like, why do you make me prove that I'm physically better than you? Mm-hmm. And Rigel, who we've seen kill people, in fact, several people at this point, in very gruesome ways. But at the same time, he's like a small guy. He's not Dargo. He's not built for combat. Right. And, and so you have like these two characters that are used to using their minds to get like outsmart people. And they're like, ah, why do we have to deal with these like plebes? <laughs>
1: So, Scorpius, as we heard, gives Rigel the combination. And so, what they're going to do is Scorpius is going to talk and distract them while giving Rigel enough time to walk over to or get over to Bracca and Dargo and give them the combination, get them free from each other. Because once that happens, Dargo is free, right? Mm hmm. Bracca's injured, but Dargo can then be the muscle again. Doesn't quite work out, but Rigel is able to give them the combination. But then they're under the. um, Our two bad guys come back in. And Scorpius is talking through the plan again. Is like, you should do this. And, you know, if you try and do this, as peacekeepers are going to do this. And one of my favorite lines that one of the guys says is, why so difficult? (laughs) Why is this (laughs) thing that was supposed to be a very easy, (laughs) come in, burn the diner down, suddenly turned into this awful, horrendous, complicated plan that he can't quite grasp because he has two passages telling him different plans that he should try and all the things that he hasn't thought through. Oh, my gosh. It's just it's just so much
0: fun to watch. Though, meanwhile, the poor cook, whose whole plan was burn down his diner, get insurance money, he actually ends up getting shot during this whole thing, because he's like, I paid you guys to come in and burn down my diner, not have this hostage situation, just leave, come back and burn it down a different day. <laughs> and at this point, their heads are so filled with the idea of getting a lot more money versus just getting a little bit of money, that they end up shooting him. And the poor mm-hmm. waitress who was like really mad at him for wanting to burn down the diner that apparently she was like really attached to. Yeah, the poor waitress takes it pretty badly, and she essentially spends the rest of the episode just like drinking, and it's amazing, <laughs>
1: <laughs> drinking and staring them down. So uh, things come to a head when Rigel says, "You know, we don't like the peacekeepers, and you, you know, you should keep Dargo alive for that." And the and the Leader of the two bad guys gives him a weapon and says, Okay, kill Braca. And Rigel's like, I can't kill Braca because I'll kill Dargo. Yeah. But the guy really wants proof that he hates peacekeepers before he will try to help them out. You know, and take Scorpius captive instead of, of Rigel, because Rigel's confessed at this point that they're escape prisoners. So he's not going to get any money for him. That's what they were there negotiating their release. So instead, he turns to Scorpius and says, Okay, I'll prove it to you, but I'll shoot Scorpius instead. And he does. And it's like this really powerful blast, and Scorpius gets knocked back and he shoots him in the chest. And he goes behind this counter, which means he's hidden from sight, which is important in a minute. And so he kind of wins the trust a little bit of the two back. Guys,
0: and this is when I want to bring back what Rigel said at the very beginning of the episode, because Rigel said, "Don't miss, shoot me in the head." He does not sc- shoot Scorpius in the head; he shoots Scorpius right in the chest, and it's amazing because obviously Scorpius isn't dead, otherwise we wouldn't have another season and movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good; it's so classically Rigel, and I actually want to play the follow-up to what happens, because now he's shot Scorpius. Scorpius is out of sight. Bracca is unconscious. Otherwise, Bracca would be, like, really upset that he just lost his, like... Love. His love. <laughs> his and master. His master. And so I want to play that conversation, because Rigel claims he's going to go get a kill trophy from mm-hmm. Scorpius. So he goes behind the counter. Sorry I had to shoot you, but you know how it goes. How did you know I was
1: wearing body armor? I wasn't sure, but 131 cycles in peacekeeper captivity teaches you a few things. (laughs) And what if you were wrong? Hmm. Not so bad for me either way.
0: (laughs) Plan? We can't live with them or we're all dead. There's a knife under the plate. It's on the floor in front of the counter. Almost done. <laughs> His ears are tougher than I thought. <laughs> you got anything to
1: contribute? <sighs> A silver one. Oh, honey.
0: Single pulse charge. You've only got one. Good luck. Be there. Ah!
1: Oh, I love Rigel and the tone of his voice as he's talking to Scorpius is like, I've been around the block. It's like this grizzled old noir detective. You know, I was I was a peacekeeper prisoner for 130 cycles. i learned a thing or two. I didn't know for certain you were wearing body armor, but I was pretty darn sure.
0: <laughs> this is one of those moments when we really hear how old Rigel is and also how much time he spent with the peacekeepers. Because it, he was with them for 130 cycles and it took him that long to come up with a viable escape plan. Like an escape plan that actually ended up working. And so he's seen a lot. He's been through a lot. It's so good. And I just love the way he's like, eh, if Ed killed you, it wouldn't have been bad for me either way. <laughs> Which you know? is
1: true, you know, in a funny kind of way, because then John's problems would have been solved. Scorpius mm-hmm. wouldn't have been alive, wouldn't have the wormhole information. And they would have been able to get away a little bit better. They knew the combination to Bracca's thing. So it would just be Rigel trying to figure out getting away from the two, the two goons. So he might have pulled that off. Mm-hmm. But what I also love about this is Scorpius is like, okay, what's the plan? And so they're going to fight back. They're going to take him by surprise. And he's like, there's a knife out there that the waitress put under the plate, so you can grab that once they're distracted. And what's your contribution? And this is the best part. So that noise we heard was Scorpius opening up his heat things. They're like those tubes in his head that keep him cool, the cooling rods. There's another one in there that is a single-use pulse blast. Like, he has, like... A gun in his head. (laughs) To me, it's like the knife in the boot kind of thing. He just walks around with an extra weapon in his head.
0: (laughs) You know what it reminded me of, though? It reminded me of the fact that Zalek Soon apparently carries a knife inside her arm. Right. Where I'm like, what is it with these peacekeepers', peacekeepers obsession with like body modification with weaponry? You Clearly, know? they need them in
1: dire situations. And any situation can turn dire, as peacekeepers know, because they are really skilled soldiers. Yeah. So... I don't know. Just respect, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, and also it shows that it shows how these two characters have developed over the course of this episode. Because like I said, they started off playing like multi-layer chess together. Then they started playing multi-layer chess against the monkeys. And now they're just kind of like, okay, so it turns out we're not going to think our way out of this. So we're just going to have to like kill them. I think that this episode has fast become one of my favorites of the season. Mm -hmm. just because of this plot line like the talent plot line we're going to get to in a minute and that's really good as well but this plot line it just it shows these two characters that are somewhat unlikable and it shows them in just such a different light and it's really fun to watch
1: it really is a lot of fun so the waitress comes out and she's going to be shot by one of the guys she's as we said drinking and just staring everything down Rigel talks them out of shooting her and killing her and tells her to go back in the kitchen, just wait there till it all plays out. And he gets the pulse blast. He distracts them enough for Bracca to get his bracelet off so now right so now Dargo can join the fight. And they've, you know, kick people. I can't remember the exact thing. It happens kinda of quickly. So Scorpius throws a knife into to the shoulder of one of them. The leader who then spins in a circle like a dog chasing his tail,
0: shooting his weapon above everybody's heads. It's so funny. (laughs) And then Bracca puts his bracelet on the other guy, and then Dargo starts banging his own head on the ground (laughs) to try and hurt the guy. And it does, it it like completely, like really hurts the guy. But I want to put this up there with. (laughs) Dargo, what the hell is up with your plans, bro? <laughs> like, this is definitely right up there with cutting off your own pinky finger. His plan is literally just to, like, bang his head on the ground until the guy is, like, unconscious. It's amazing. It's the best thing.
1: <laughs> and Rigel's reaction.
0: Oh, my God. I'm dying. Rigel, like, Dargo is still banging his head on the ground, even though they've kind of got the situation under control. And, and he like, Rigel comes up to him, and he's like... Are you all right, Dargo? (laughs) And (laughs) Dargo's like, oh, yeah, I've got a thick skull.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so threats neutralized. Uh. And the result of all this... So one of the demands early in the episode when Scorpius introduced the Ayanch bracelets was that Bracca would wear one of them and John Crichton would wear the other one. And Dargo and Rigel are like, hells no. You, have no, you know that you would have no problem killing Bracca in order to kill John. And by the end of this episode, though, their demand that Scorpius wear it with John, and Scorpius is like, okay, I can, I can trust you enough because I've worked with you, Rigel. I know that I can work with you. And we got this rapport going that I agree to your terms of I will wear the bracelet and John will wear the bracelet.
0: Mm-hmm. So my question to you is this. Do you think that we would have into the lion's den at all if this robbery hadn't taken place? If Scorpius hadn't been forced to work with Rigel so closely?
1: Oh, that's a good question. It kind of goes back to John Crichton and how desperate he is to to defeat Scorpius. Like, would he have accepted Bracca as the as the other person on the end, of as security? And I think he might have. Honestly, I think John is desperate enough they would have tried to work with that plan. I don't think it would have worked out well for them, but I think he might have gone for it.
0: Yeah. Well, and you have to feel bad for Bracca because they're a hundred percent right. Scorpius would have no problem <laughs> maiming, hurting, yeah. killing Bracca to get it John. And you're like, given how much we've seen that like Bracca just like would do anything for Scorpius, that must be hard. Mm-hmm. To yeah. know that like the person you love does not love you back in the same way. Yeah. I just love the ending. I just love that like it kind of comes down to Scorpius trusting Rigel. Like he doesn't trust anybody else. But he, like, trusts that Rigel, that whatever game Rigel is playing, he kind of wants to see it play out now.
1: Yeah. It's trust and respect for the person as opposed to trust for the motivations, if that makes sense. Like, he knows Rigel is going to follow through. He knows Rigel is going to play it for his own benefit for, you know, there's a few other conditions that come along. And it's just, I don't know, there's that rapport there. He's like, he can trust that Rigel wants to make sure this works.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, the waitress burns it all down. (laughs) Apparently, Dargo
1: gets burned during that or something. Because, or maybe not during that, but he, he, because he, in addition to his leg being hurt when he comes back to Moya and his head being bruised, he also has a burn on his hand. So I feel like he helped the waitress burn it.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm sure he did. Poor waitress had a really bad day. She might as well get insurance money out of it.
1: I know, right? It's like, okay, we'll help you out with that.
0: So that's when they get back to Moya and Shiana's response to like what happened on Moya is it's complicated. So let's rewind the episode and go through it on the Talon plotline which is considerably well, darker, let's put it that way. Yeah,
1: and a little heartbreaking. So Najgal, the Scarin prisoner who was shot and wounded in uh, the previous episode, Fractures, actually survived. I was like, I forgot about that. <laughs> it, his fate was ambiguous at the end of Fractures, and I had forgotten what happened with most of the Talon line in this episode. But he survives, and they have found a medical transport ship of uh, basically a flying hospital who they are going to transfer Najgill to. And also, Jewel is kind of interested in going along because she doesn't want to be part of this of, of this assault on the command carrier, and she is, you know, she's not part of the peacekeeper, she's She was never a prisoner. She has no, no horse in this race, and so she just wants to get out of there before everything goes to hazmana
0: I can't really blame her for that, I'll be honest. No.
1: Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, she kind of has a medical background. She could help out. She could find work. You know, they could help her out getting her somewhere. So Najgul goes over. Well, Aaron does reconnaissance. Najgul, Najgul goes over. Jewel misses going with him because she was packing. And then when she goes to take another transport over, Chiana stops her. Mm-hmm. And... What's happening kind of on command at the same time is these peacekeeper patrols have come. Presumably Scorpius has been searching for them and they found them. And of course they can't negotiate with them, so Talon shoots the two, the Marauder and the other peacekeepers, out of preemptive self-defense, I guess you would call it.
0: Well... Krace does give him the okay. In fact, everybody gives Talon the okay to shoot these. It's like a marauder and a prowler. And everybody gives Talon the okay to to kill them because they aren't sure what they're after yet. But as soon as they start coming at Moya, then they're like, okay, so we know that they are after us. And so we're going to play a clip because Talon does not power down after he shoots them. Everybody's like, yay, good job, Talon. And then Talon turns the, the guns on the medical facility, which has 600 civilians on it. The hospital craft is moving away, and its commander sends us his gratitude for destroying the peacekeeper's ships. Wait, wait, Talon, the med ship is not a threat. What is he doing, Chris? No, Talon, the med ship is not a threat! Chris, what is going on out there? No, Talon!
1: No! No reason!
0: No! Nothing! There was nothing you. I could do. Kellen attacked on his own accord. You could have stopped
1: him. Somehow you could have stopped him. Now they're dead. 600 souls. And you! You knew. No. I, I only saw myself in the morning. I thought it was for you.
0: Pilot, why haven't we starburst? Peacekeepers are sure to send out another patrol. I'm afraid Moya is now refusing to move. Why? Since Talon powered down, I can't contact him. He's not responding to my comms. And Moya is refusing to abandon him.
1: I just gotta say that Krace screaming for Talon to not shoot is just so heart-wrenching.
0: It's, like, really not okay. My other thing is we've gotten a tiny bit of pushback for how much of a break we're kind of giving Grace the past season. But I think that this moment really shows the character growth that he's had. Like, this is season three. This isn't season two. You know, he kind of had season two to get his head together and to stop being a jerk. But this is season three where he kind of started off asking Aaron for help. Like, that was the reason... He wanted her on Talon. Was he wanted her help with with Talon? He knew something was wrong, and this is just the payoff from that. This is the payoff from Green-eyed Monster. This is the payoff from essentially all of the Talon episodes. You know, even even going back, Infinite Possibilities, when Talon isn't listening to Grace, when Grace says go to the dark side, power off, and Kr- and Talon doesn't listen. This is the payoff from all those little moments, and it's hard because you can tell Grace is trying to. Grace doesn't want this. You know? Yeah,
1: he wants to do right by Talon. Like, I feel like this episode really, for me, shows how much he really cares about Talon as his own person too. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, don't do this. You know, this is this is going to be awful, and not just for the death of the six hundred people on the med ship, but also for Talon too, because it's it's really crossing the line." Of you've had this troubled kid. He's had a really rough upbringing. He has too much power that he doesn't know what to do with. He's scared all the time because he's being hunted. You know, he's Talon's been really traumatized. He was crippled by the retrieval squad led by Zalak's son. He had to go through recovery from that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: In season two, we saw him being trigger happy. He was torn away from his mother, which yes was Krace's fault, and who knows maybe contributed to his instability but he has had a very difficult short life and he's paranoid as a result of it and he's like anybody out there who is not my mother is out to get me Mm -hmm. it's wrong but he doesn't have he doesn't have the experience he doesn't have any kind of safe place ever yeah besides being with Moya and even then that's been that's been difficult so he's never been able and he hasn't been able to cope and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse
0: yeah. And I like that in this episode, they're playing it as like a mental instability and they kind of are playing it. They aren't playing it like Talon is at fault or that Talon is evil. Mm-hmm. And and I think you're right that like Chris does bear, I mean, a not insignificant amount of responsibility for what happened to Talon. Because he took Talon when Talon was a baby. And then now Talon has all these issues. But we're also given to understand that Talon is just super powerful Mm -hmm. And a child. So it's kind of like giving a child like a machine gun and then being surprised when things get out of hand really quickly or when that child develops with like different moral structure or when that child ends up really, really messed up as a result.
1: Yeah, well, it's like the child soldier thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's one of Craze's arguments to Aaron and Mind the Baby is, you know, I'm taking him away from his mother at a young age, just like I was, just like you were. But he's taking Talon away from a institutional structured support system that trains children soldiers to become warriors. And without that institutional support, you know, the moral morality of that, you know, to the side, I mean, at least that institution had the resources to help keep them stable to adulthood you know Mm -hmm. and had systems in place probably for dealing with instability like this you know they've been on their own they've been hunted it's a totally different situation from being a peacekeeper child which i think is what Crace started out thinking it was going to be like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but it turned into something very different just because the circumstances were so different
0: yeah so the next scene we have on moya is Crace is really unhappy And he's genuinely very, very upset about all of the innocents that died. And I think this kind of goes back to him not being a peacekeeper anymore and also just him feeling responsible for what Mm -hmm. happened. And Moya also is very upset. Moya is upset that they're even having this conversation. So throughout this conversation, the whole ship will shake because really that's her only way of directly communicating with the crew about her opinions of any of this because Mm -hmm. she's so angry and she's so upset that she won't even go through pilot to talk about it she's just like shaking the ship to be like I am not okay with any of this yeah no one really seems to know what to do about Talon and so Kreis suggests that they completely take all of his mechanics offline keep his biology on life support go somewhere where they can fix him fix him
1: and it's not clear what he means by fix him but do something to stop this and stop him from overreacting like this and Mm -hmm. the result of that conversation is is aaron asks will he be talon when he wakes up and crace is like no you know he's going to be he's going to go through a personality change Mm
0: -hmm. and that's
1: you know it's like i won't say lobotomizing but it's kind of where they're going with this is like something is so wrong within him mentally that they have to change his mental functions
0: Yeah. This is a huge difference, it feels like to me, between season one and two and season three, which is that in season two, even, when Kreis was like, I think we need to take away Talon's canon, he's getting trigger happy. The whole crew was like really arguing with him about it. And it really did feel like they didn't trust him anymore. And I don't think that they trust him necessarily. But I think that there is much more trust there. It's not like it's not like as if Aaron was saying this or something like they don't trust it in. They don't trust it without question, but at the same time, none of them seem to know what to do, and they all seem to know that something needs to be done. So they all kind of sign on board on this, and then Aaron and John have this interesting conversation about what they should do, because Moya is refusing to listen to them. She doesn't want to do this, but they know it has to be done.
1: And at this point, the only person Talon can or will listen to is Moya. So in order to get Talon on board, they have to convince Moya. Talon has activated a full lockdown. He's not letting Grace on board.
0: Moya is still refusing to move. She won't even talk to pilot.
1: What do you think we should do? You asking me? Yes. We can still work together, John. We always did that well. The only voice that Talon is going to listen to is Moya. Someone needs to talk to her and convince her that we're not hurting Talon because we want to. I think maybe you should talk to Moya. She knows that you love Talon. Ouch. (laughs) So, in addition to the whole... Talon situation that's difficult we also have the Aaron and John situation that is difficult and it feels like from their conversation that this is the first time Aaron has approached John about anything really because he's like are you talking to me is what he says but you know they're still working on putting aside their difficult situation it's not like it's anyone's fault but you know it's like they're you know Aaron is still in mourning John is still mourning the fact that it wasn't him with her. But, you know, he's still up front and they're still going to work together. And I really like that sentiment between them from Aaron. It's like, we always could work together, even when things were tough. It goes back to Aaron's relationship with Talon. You know, she was basically his favorite auntie, the one who calmed him down. And Moya knows that. So that's what they're they're going to try and do is have Aaron try and convince her.
0: Yeah. The whole interaction between John and Aaron goes back to my feeling that they're best when they're working together in like a in like an action situation, and this isn't as actiony as you know Infinite Possibilities or anything or you know anything where their guns are blazing, but it is still pretty. It's it's integral. It's them working together, and I think Erin picks up on that. That she's like, even though I don't want to have an emotional relationship with you anymore, we have a really good working relationship, mm-hmm. and she's actually she trusts him. She trusts his, his advice.
1: Yeah. And his judgment. And so that's what Aaron Aaron goes and does. She goes and talks with Moya. So she goes to Pilate's den and asks to speak to Moya and basically lays out what Krace laid out. And he's like, you know, there's a problem. We really don't want to hurt him, but we have to do something because we can't have him murdering people. It's only going to hurt him in the end. So Aaron convinces Moya to go with their plan.
0: Yeah. So Moya wakes up Talon. And Moya's is heartbroken and you can feel it in the way the ship is shuddering. And also how she doesn't w- even want to talk to pilot like that. That really spoke to me is that Moya is so upset about this that she won't even talk to her really only ma- like way to communicate her like mm-hmm. pilot is like her only I mean, he's not her only friend, but he's her only friend. He's her but, life know? partner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean,
1: pilot has a moment where he says, OK, well, you guys are finishing discussing, I'm going to go talk to Moya alone and it's like the parents are treating, you know.
0: Mhm. Yeah, actually that I I remember that too. That's heartbreaking. I, I don't know, it just this is one of those episodes where we feel Moya the character. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, she's heartbroken. She wakes up Talon and she essentially tells Talon like, "Okay, this is what we have to do, honey." And then Talon fires up his weapons and he points them straight at Command where all of them are standing and he shoots. And so he's firing on his own mother.
1: Yeah. And it's it's really horrible to watch, too, because it's blast after blast after blast. And all these cables come down. And it really feels like that he's trying to destroy her. I mean, obviously, he doesn't. And he pulls off beforehand. But it's this very violent lashing out at this decision that he doesn't want to have to make, you mm-hmm. know?
0: And so after that, Talon kind of realizes he went too far. And he lets Aaron, John, and Krasip aboard And Aaron actually ends up talking Talon down because initially they come on board. Kreis has kind of been communicating with him through the neural transponder and they come on board and they walk into Talon's command and like a gun drops down. And again, like because Talon and Moya both, we can't like, they don't speak in any way. We really often have to use the the scenery and, like, the visual cues as, like, their way of communicating. Like, this gun that drops down, it's, like, I'm, I'm sure it's actually oil or something like that, but it's, like, dripping, like, this red substance. So it looks like it's dripping blood. And you yeah. kind of get the feeling that, like, that's representing Talon right now is this, like, little boy with this great big gun. He's backed in a corner, and he's just firing, and he's just covered in blood And he's, like, firing on his friends and his family now.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. And Aaron talks to him. Talon, you know what must happen next.
0: He's right, Talon. Talon, you listen to me.
1: You destroyed a ship with many innocent people on board. You shot your own mother. You would never do that. Unless you were sick and frightened. When Moya told you what we had to do, you panicked and struck out. I don't think you really meant to hurt Moya. You could have destroyed her if you wanted to, but you didn't. Just as I'm hoping that you don't really want to hurt us because we don't want to hurt you. Talon, you know you're sick. You let us board. Now, I don't want you to be frightened. You're not going to die. You'll be reborn. It's a fresh start. Please, Talon, let
0: us take away your pain. I like that none of them, I mean, they blame Talon, but they're not blaming Talon. Do you know what I mean? They all seem to see this as, like, a sickness or, like, an illness. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they all kind of carry blame within themselves for this, you know? Yeah.
1: You know, it's dealing with somebody whose circumstances you can understand, and it's not excusing his behavior, because clearly they're going to hold him accountable, and he's going to have to change his behavior, or and they're going to have to do it by an intervention, basically. So it's not like they're they're saying, oh, he didn't mean to, so he can just keep going and doing what he wants to do. But at the same time, they understand that it isn't out of malice the same way. It's out of mm-hmm. fear and panic. and And that's the kind of richer understanding that for someone you love, that is, you know, they want to help him because they know him at his best also, in mm-hmm. addition to at his worst.
0: Yeah, and I mean at this point, what he's done is is very unforgivable. I mean, six hundred innocent lives. A, yeah, a it's hospital, mass murder. You know. Yeah, this isn't this isn't like when he fired on the Plakavians or you know when he when he was violent against somebody else that was potentially violent against him.
1: It was completely unwarranted too, because there had even been a pause between shooting down the peacekeepers, and then you know it was minutes later that you mm-hmm. know. That he shot the medical ship, so so yeah, yeah, it's a really really tough situation. And I love Erin being both firm and gentle with him. Like she's mm-hmm. like, Do "You listen here, this has got to stop." But at the same time, she's reassuring him that you don't have to be afraid of us. We're going to help you. You're mm-hmm. not going to die. You know, it's going to be okay in the end. You know, it's that very much that tough love kind of kind of terminology and words and tone that she takes with him.
0: Yeah. One, well, also, the understanding of pain, where she's mm-hmm. like, "You're not gonna be in pain anymore, yeah, I don't know, and so it's, yeah, so Talon backs down, and then, right as they're about to shut shut Talon down for good, Grace actually ends up speaking to him, and we didn't get it. it's really long, but it's it was kind of sad i, I it felt was sad
1: heartbreaking this is where where Grace just breaks my heart all over again because he's he's having this conversation that we can only hear Crais's side of it and he's like no I think you're very brave you know mm-hmm. and and when he finally shuts the controls down there's this hoarseness to his voice when he says he's gone and you just feel Crais crying on the inside you know mm-hmm. and Aaron and uh John are in Talon's command and they're watching Crais as he walks out and it's just you just feel or at least I just felt so much for Crais right there you know, yeah. it's like, here's this kid that he's been with for the last two years who he's tried to raise, who has been his constant companion, whom he loves. Like, I really genuinely believe that that Crace loves Talon and mm-hmm. he might not have started out that way. He might have just gone with a weapon. But but this was his brainchild, too, you know, because mm-hmm. way back in They've Got a Secret and the way we weren't. You know, he was the one who came up with the idea, or and insta- or implemented the idea of the of the Leviathan gunship. Mm-hmm. So there's this real rawness to Kreis throughout this last these last scenes of his.
0: Oh yeah, the underlying message of his whole scene with Talon, which is yeah, one sided. You're only hearing his responses, but it's, you know, I think you're brave, and essentially, I still love you is kind of yeah. the underlying message. It's like I still care about you. I know you did some. You did something that was unforgivable, but I forgive you for it. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like you would expect from someone that is that close to you.
0: Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's so. It's really upset. Moya is shaking. She's really upset. Chiana is praying, mm-hmm. and Kreis just kind of walks out. You know,
1: in the dark because the, the lights dark. are off. It is. Oh,
0: so. That's kind of the Talon line and then we get a moment at the end after Rigel and Dargo have come back and this is payoff for that earlier moment where Aaron turned to John and was trusting him again and wanted to work together because even in that moment she was kind of being like well we work together we don't have to be emotional about this but like we work together really well and you can see that that's not really working for her either.
1: I have a bad feeling about the Command Carrier. Do you think we shouldn't go? I don't think we have a choice if Scorpius Master's wormholes, then. Yeah, some things you die for. I just can't watch that happen again. It was perfect. We were so perfect, and you're just like him. I mean, you are him. No. I'm me. I was here. I miss that dance. Aaron. started this together Crichton
0: that's how we'll end it A lot going on there
1: yeah so that's uh Aaron's voice Claudia Black's voice throughout this whole scene just picks up on every single nuance between these two characters and where they are and where they've been. And she's right to have a bad feeling. I mean, they're walking into Scorpius's command carrier. I mean, why would you do that unless you are going on a suicide run, basically? You know, it's another suicide run at Scorpius. And that's the stakes, though, because they can't let him have the wormholes, or John Crichton can't let him have the wormholes. So that's where they're going to go. And I love how John gives her an out. He's like, don't come with us. You know, you can't watch me die again, so you shouldn't be there in case I die again. And I don't know, it's it's just kind of like, on the one hand, it sounds partly like he's trying to protect her from being in that situation at all, but either to see him die or from dying herself. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's interesting that moment at the very beginning when she's like, I have a bad feeling about this. And he kind of says, do you think we should not do this? Like, do you think we should not go to the to the command carrier? And you can kind of tell that if she did say, like, I think that this plan is bad. You know, she's still devoted to the cause of not of stopping Scorpius. And you could tell that he was kind of asking as a practical matter, like, do you think we need to abort? And she's like, no, I mean, we need to do this. But. Earlier in the episode when she asked for his help and he was kind of resistant to like, are you talking to me? Like, are we talking Mm -hmm. now? You know, and yet she's kind of at this place where she's like, you look alike, you talk alike. We have the same experiences up until a couple of months ago and I just can't let you die again. And he's like, I didn't die. (laughs) The other guy
1: Well, yeah, and he's coming back to making that distinction. We talked a little bit about it last episode in Fractures with Dargo and John's conversation about, you know, she's jealous or you're jealous of a dead man because Mm -hmm. he was there with her. And and here he really confronts her about it because she also had a slip last episode when she said, just like the budong, we're going to do this plan to rescue Rigel. But John wasn't there for it. And she's starting, you know, she still loves him. Like you are him you know, that hasn't gone away just because it's a different person now. And he has to remind her that he is a different person that he didn't have this intimacy with her. Like Mm -hmm. he was out in the cold while she was having adventures with the other, other John and really bringing home that they did have different experiences and that he is not exactly the same.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of where the episode ends is they're about to walk onto the command carrier and This is a good episode for me. I like how it sets up all the chess pieces. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it really is. I would give this one a probably a four, four and a half. Like, there's not a bad beat in this episode. Like, I think the pacing is really well done. And I think that the two storylines, while they're very different, they work well together because they're both ending up at the same point because it's all about getting to Scorpius. But at the same time, the comic relief from the from the hostage situation just breaks up the brutality of the Talon store storyline.
0: Yeah, I would go as high as a five for me. I know we're coming up on Into the Lion's Den, so don't yell at me if then I start rating Into the Lion's Den episodes as <laughs> like five point five. But I, you're right. This is one of those episodes where last episode I, I talked about how it felt like everybody was kind of given the short shrift, except for John and Aaron. Like, we didn't even see Dargo meeting Aaron again for the first time. We didn't even see them get to, like, have a hug hug, or even, like, a, hey, I missed you or how are you doing? You know, we didn't get any of that. But here, everybody, including Jewel and Gianna, who have very minor roles this episode, we get enough moments with them to feel continuous you know Mm -hmm.
1: yeah we we didn't talk about them much but chiana has those premonitions at the beginning and she also is like saves jewel's life because she's like you can't go to that medical ship because i Mm -hmm. i see myself mourning you and there's you know it's kind of touching between these two people who you know don't like each other most of the (laughs) time and i think chiana actually punches jewel again
0: yeah this episode really really worked for me and just the the whole plot line with rigel and scorpius it was like so good Mm -hmm. it was like it was again it was like watching like you know two really good chess players playing each other you know yeah
1: yeah and it's also a a pairing that we don't get to see
0: together very often and i
1: think that's the other part of the appeal to me also
0: so on wardrobe watch this week i think everybody's pretty much wearing their normal clothes right yeah
1: erin is wearing her green shirt and john is wearing his black t-shirt Mm-hmm. And everyone else is in what they've mostly been wearing all season. I'm trying to think. Oh, Jewel still has an eye patch from the blue oh, yeah. light that got in her eye and damaged her eye a little bit.
0: Yeah. I wonder if they sent the boo light with the scare in. <laughs> <laughs> I think with the boo light was
1: pretty dead. He got pretty <laughs> shot up.
0: So next week we have Into the Lion's Den part one. So we are going to be doing a season three wrap up af- after we finish this season. So. Please email us, you know, send us a voice memo. We want to hear from you. What do you think? What's your favorite episode? Did you disagree with us about anything? Please tell us. We'd love to hear (laughs) when people disagree with us.
1: And if you have any questions you want us to discuss, we're happy to take those too.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: We'll see you next week. We are Farscape Friday podcast at gmail.com. And we are Farscape Friday podcast on Tumblr and DreamWith. And we are Farscape Friday on Twitter. Have a good week, everyone. Bye.